Have you ever watched a movie where there's just like an epic battle scene? You know what I'm talking about? Just some movie. Maybe it's a Lord of the Rings type movie or, or maybe it's even like some kid's movie like, uh, like Bambi, an epic battle scene in Bambi. You know what I'm talking about? You know that, just that epic battle scene and uh, somebody's leading the charge and uh, you hear that one officer in the, in the military or someone yell something like, are you ready or make ready or get ready? Like it's a, we're about to go into battle or whatever it may be. Uh, you hear that kind of phrase, make ready. And, and you know everybody's like getting ready. They're arming themselves or they're preparing. They're bracing for impact, whatever it may be. Uh, they're making themselves ready. Some of you did that this morning. I remember my dad saying this is, this is a, in, uh, not even a politically correct thing to say. Uh, but, you know, we'd be getting ready for something. And we're like, we're waiting for your mom. What's mom, what's mom doing? She's putting on her war paint. You know, she's getting ready for, she's getting ready for the day. And that meant makeup at the time. Uh, but, but you even had, some of you had that this morning uh, as, you were, as you were preparing for the day, as you were preparing to come here. To, to gather among other believers, uh, you began to prepare yourself. Uh, most of that meant by uh, combing your hair or shaving or putting on some kind of uh, you know, appropriate Sunday attire. You began to ready yourself for that. Uh, you know, what, it, what in a sense, like spiritually, are we doing, though, when it comes to making ourselves ready for God to work in our, in our lives? Are we just, uh, just expecting Him just to do it all? Lord, um, Play-Doh, and just form me however you want. Like I'm this, this potter's clay, just make me into whatever you want. Or is there some sort of preparation that goes into you being conformed into the image of Christ. I mean, what did you do this morning? I mean, just think for a moment, and I, I'm not trying to single you out or call you out or put guilt upon you or convict you at all, but just think for a moment, as you were preparing this morning to come and worship with other believers, uh, what spiritually did you do? Did you stop for a moment? Did you pray and ask God, hey God, uh, let my heart be in tune with yours? Did you seek Him out saying, God, I'm going to worship with other believers. I'm going to hear from you. What were the things that you did uh, spiritually to, to get ready? Most of you put deodorant on every day in preparation of uh, perspiration, right? And so you're, prep, or you're preparing for that. And so you do things in order for, for the stink not to come. And we, we don't even do that necessarily when it comes to, to our spiritual life. Uh, instead, we just kind of wait for it to happen. We, we see what, what, what's going to happen. We're just going to play it out and go, and go with it. Even though most of us are planners, uh, I know many of you who are, who are well at planning, and you have months and years in advance of planning of what, what's going to happen in those days. But when it comes to our spiritual life, uh, most people that I know and interact with, we just kind of wait and see what happens. There's no real preparation for it. I mean, think, think uh, just a few days ahead here when Christmas comes. Maybe you have some sort of holiday party or Christmas party already plan. Maybe it's a staff one at your school or, or your work or whatever it is, or maybe some kind of family gathering. And you've already began preparing for, for what's to come. Uh, you've got a list started, a Christmas list of presents you're going to buy or, or food you're going to prepare or drinks that you're going to make or whatever the case may be. You're already in preparation for that, planning for those things to come. In the same sense, think about Mary and Joseph making these preparations. Hey, we're pregnant. We're with child. Uh, we're, we're preparing for this child to come into the world. Uh, for, for Joseph's sake, it was, a, it was a, you know, like, what in the world? Like, do I even have time to prepare for something? I didn't even know it was going to happen. Mary's the same way. Like, how do we prepare for, for these things to happen? The cool thing about our little series here, Worth the Wait, I mean, we're, we're talking about waiting on Christ. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the years that they were waiting. The Israelites were waiting for the Messiah to show up 
to the Christ to come and be on, on the stage. And they waited and they waited. But in that waiting, they, they began to prepare, thinking this is what the Christ is going to look like. This is what we should expect. Begin memorizing and studying scriptures so they knew. Uh, even the, the, it seemed like the wise men were, were studying stars even, thinking like, hey, let, let's study these. And maybe even the stars will cry out and say, uh, you know, in Job it talks about the, the stars belong to the Lord and He's directing uh, the stars in their, in their shapes even. And so with that, uh, we're waiting for, studying all these things, waiting for uh, the Messiah to, to come, waiting for Him. And then He shows up and the wait's over, Right? Christmas Day happens and the wait's over and the next thing you're waiting for is uh, Canadian Boxing Day and we're still not even sure what that is and so we just wait for the 26th to show up and we hope that in in that day showing up in itself, the day after Christmas, that somebody's going to clean up the dishes, somebody's going to clean up the trash, somebody's going to take things and put everything put everything back to normal. So we play this waiting game constantly, just like the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah. The good news and what we've studied the past two weeks is the Christ has come. Prophecy has been fulfilled. It's been all fulfilled in Jesus. So no longer, I mean, we're in this place now where we're no longer waiting for the Christ to come, in a sense, the first coming, right? I mean, we, we waited for that. The Christ came. And then, and then we waited again for the Holy Spirit to come. John the Baptist kind of ushered the way in for the, the Messiah to come. And then Jesus kind of ushers the way in for the Holy Spirit to come and reside in us. And now what are we as believers today? What are we waiting for? What, what is it that we're about? What's our mission? What's our vision? What's our life supposed to be about? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the return of Christ, for the second coming, that we might make ourselves ready, prepare for His second coming. And then also in that, we're called to kind of prepare the entire world for that. Hey, He came one time, now now it's time to prepare for His second coming. What does that look like, preparing for, for holiness, preparing for righteousness, preparing for the return of the King? What, what is it that we're going to do to prepare for the second coming of Jesus? And so I want to take um, just part of Luke, um, part of a message that John the Baptist or John the Baptizer uh, kind of preached at, at, a, at, a, at a baptism and take that and, and give us some things as we, as we think about Advent, as we think about Christmas, as we think about all the preparations you're making. Uh, you know, we have first Sunday lunch today and I've already been back in the kitchen and seeing like all the preparations that are being made just for lunch. Uh, some of you will leave here today after lunch and you'll begin preparing for Monday because you have to go to work and so you're preparing your mind for that. And we do all these things in preparation for stuff upon this earth, what are we going to do as spiritual people also preparing for Christ to, to work holiness in our heart, for Christ to purify us as we're clothed with His righteousness? What are we doing in preparation for, for His return? So I'm going to brief, brief you through Luke 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump into Luke chapter chapter 3. So in Luke chapter 1, we see uh, this birth of John the Baptist has been foretold. His mom and dad, his dad is a, is a minister or a priest. He's serving. Uh, he wasn't anticipating uh, going to work that day and going to the temple. He wasn't anticipating God speaking to him through an angel. And with his disbelief or unbelief, God muted him. And then, uh, and then in, uh, in the rest of chapter 1, we see the, the birth of Jesus foretold. And Mary's just in awe. And like, what are we doing? And then Mary and, and Elizabeth, who is um, John the Baptist's mom, visit and Mary comes up with this song and then we get to chapter 2 and we hear about the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and the angels coming and, and, and worshiping Christ. And we see Jesus being presented at the temple and being bought back by his parents. It's a crazy little scenario that happens there that we don't have time to study necessarily this morning. But I would, I would this week for, for you as you're studying Luke 1, 2, and 3, read through that and, and see what's happening there. And then Jesus goes to the temple and, uh, and this, this crazy thing happens. And then we get to John chapter, or Luke chapter 3 where we meet up with John the Baptist as he's been ministering, as he's been preaching 
teaching, as he's been uh, changing people's lives, and we catch up with him in Luke chapter 3 uh, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And so we, we, we catch up with, with, um, with John the Baptist, who is a preparer of the way. Someone who is not the Christ, but someone who is preparing the way for the Christ. And in a sense, I want you to grab this morning that you as a messenger, uh, you as an ambassador, you as a, as a follower of Jesus, as a minister of reconciliation, you are also a, a messenger or a preparer of the way. We know the way. J- uh, Jesus said it himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. And so with that, if we have that truth, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, and you have that truth, you know the way. So your, your responsibility this week is to prepare the way. Prepare the way. Show, the, show people the way to the Father. What way is that? It's been completed. The work has been done. It's through Jesus. And so we as ambassadors of Jesus, of Jesus are preparing the way for His second coming. Uh, Matthew 24, 14 says that the, the gospel, the good news, will be shared to, throughout the world to all nations. And then the end will come. So we have a little bit of part in the ushering of the second coming of Jesus as we're preparing the way for that. Uh, teaching people about the holiness and righteousness and power and kingship and authority of Jesus. It's our responsibility as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation, that we would go and be these messengers of the good news of of Jesus. And so in a sense, as we study Luke chapter 3 here, uh, you need to put yourself in John's shoes. Think about as he's preparing the way for the Messiah, what is his life about? What is he teaching? How is he directing other people? I mean, some of you are thinking, like, "I, I need to make a disciple of Jesus. I need to share the gospel with somebody else. I need to, to, to meet weekly with somebody and, and point them in the direction of holiness and purity and what those things look like and teach them sound doctrine, but I don't even know where to begin. Well, take this grizzly man, this Jeremiah Johnson guy looking, looking guy, John the Baptist. Take his example and model that and put that into practice. Here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 3 verse 1 says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate began, uh, being governor of Judea, and Herod, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Idurea and Triconitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I want you to underline or highlight or circle if you're okay with this or write it down in your notes somewhere. The word of God came to John. Not just a newspaper article, not a Twitter tweet, uh, not something on Facebook, but instead the word of God came to John. So, so in a sense, what is motivating John to go and be a minister of the gospel, to be a, a, a preparer of the way, to be an ambassador for God and his kingdom? What is it that's, that's motivating him to do that? It is the Word of God. All right, so as you're preparing, um, as you're preparing your heart for the, the second coming of Jesus, we ought to be spending a lot of time in the Word of God. We should be spending time listening to God's Word, to studying God's Word, uh, to memorizing God's Word, to, to meditate on God's Word, putting it into practice. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So I take this literally, and I say, you know what, if John is in the wilderness, in the Word of God comes, comes to him, let's all go to the wilderness as much as we can, right? And I think that the wilderness is all of New Mexico, so that's why we're here, but particularly there's some mountains just uh, to the west of here that I think we should spend more time in. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, could you take this and you can say, like, this is a kid that was raised, he's a preacher's kid, He's a priest kid. He's a PK. He's raised by a minister. He's raised by someone who's employed uh, constantly in full-time 
ministry. And so because of that, he's looking at life and saying, you know what, my dad was a priest, so I'm just going to commit my whole life to full-time ministry also. So we've made that connect in, the world, in this world today. Like there are full-time ministers of the gospel, and then there are not. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. Like we are all ministers of reconciliation. We are all agents of light. We are all representatives, ambassadors of the gospel, ambassadors of Jesus. And we should use every moment to prepare the way for a second coming. Using every opportunity that you can to have conversations about your king, about the one that you're following, about the one who's, who has saved you. And that's what John sees here. He hears the word of the Lord and so he goes. And he proclaims a, a, a message of baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 4 it says this, as it is written in the book. So the word of God spoke, it's been declared, it's been revealed to us, it's been recorded as it is written in the book of, of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall, shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation shall, shall see the salvation of God. So, so John's task really was a fulfillment of prophecy also, like Christ. A fulfillment of that someone's going to come and be a messenger like we read in Malachi. He's going to come and be a messenger of the gospel, the hope that we can find in Jesus. And make straight the paths of the, of the way of the, of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. I think the interesting thing about faith is this. That faith removes obstacles between you and the object of your affection. Let me read it again for you. Faith removes obstacles between you and the object of your affection. So as John is hearing the words of the Lord, he's putting his faith and trust in the words of the Lord. And in that, every obstacle that's in the way of trusting in, his, in, his, uh, in the word of the Lord, in his trust in the word of the Lord, and his affection for God, all those obstacles are then removed. And he begins to prepare the way for the Messiah to come, for the Christ to come, and usher in this first coming of Jesus. And prepare the way for that. And in the same way today, faith is still doing this with you. I mean, how many of you know someone who's in a terrible relationship, but they have it justified in some way? Like they're in a terrible, terrible relationship with another person. And you're looking from the outside saying, why are they in this relationship? And you go and you kind of try and have a conversation with them. Why are you in this relationship? And they say, well, I'm just trusting that at some point they're going to change. At some point they're going to get better. And, and biblically, that's even uh, something that Paul tells us to do in, in, in a marriage setting. It's the trust that God is going to use you as a minister of the gospel to, to change their life also. Well, we see them and we think, why? I mean, all these things, well, in their trust and in their faith that the other person is going to change, they look past all the obstacles that are in the way that we are seeing from the outside. But do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? How are you jumping over these hurdles? Well, faith, their trust, and seeing a greater picture, a greater story, uh, trusting in that, that the person is going to change. Well, faith, in this case, uh, when John is putting faith into action, he's trusting into the words of the Lord. He's trusting that the, the, the word of the Lord is true. And it's been revealed to him. And so with that, he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths, the paths of the Lord. Well, man, praise be to God that we today have this straight path of Jesus. And so we're looking at as, as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors for Christ, as we're preparing the way for his second coming, like we, it is our task to remove obstacles, to show people like this thing is in the way, it's an idol. And you'll never go around or jump over it until Christ removes it. Your heart is being captured by it. 
Uh, John Piper says something about enchantment that we're going to talk about a, a little bit later. But your, your heart is enchanted with it. I mean, we live in the land of enchantment that often leads to entrapment, right? I mean, how many of you were enchanted by New Mexico because of job or because of mountains or because of something you said, man, I want to stay in New Mexico forever, and now you feel trapped. Enchantment often leads to entrapment. And the author of Hebrews says we should no longer be entangled with sin or entrapped in it. But we should look for a way of escape. And Paul tells us the only way of escape through temptation is Jesus. Jesus providing the way of escape. And so we as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors, as we're preparing for the second coming of Jesus, we do everything we can to remove obstacles. We look at faith in Christ and Christ alone. And we say, let's remove all these things. Let's point people to say, that is an idol. It's in the way of you and your relationship in your in, in in the way of your relationship with the Lord. It's also interesting that the word here, prepare the way, or the word, particularly the word prepare, it really means to build or construct or make ready exactly according to a plan. Prepare exactly. Uh, it also means to use a vessel or tool to make ready. I mean, you and I as vessels being uh, used by the Lord to make ready for the second coming of Jesus. John in this case, uh, John the baptizer in this case, he's, he's preparing the way. He's being this tool, this vessel, being used by the Lord to prepare the way of Jesus. When we get enchanted or entrapped with things of this world and we begin uh, being, uh, turning all our affections to things of this world, uh, in that uh, we aren't being the vessels and the tools that Christ desires of us. And so we have to prepare our hearts for that. I mean, what is it that's getting in the way of your heart being prepared for holiness, for righteousness, for kingdom work? What is it that's in the way? What's the obstacles that are in the way? What are the idols that are in the way? And let's, let's remove those. The Israelites wandered in the desert searching for the way to the promised land. Did they not? I mean, for a long time. I mean, their sin kept them from that. And through that time, through that time of refining almost, uh, the Lord uh, really uh, pruned them out, refined them, so that they were ready for the promised land. They spent time wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, searching for the way to the promised land. In a sense, they were doing a lot of prep work. They were preparing their lives, their hearts, in order that they may be ready for the holiness of the promised land, the righteousness of the promised land, uh, the, the purity of the promised land. And, and in a sense, as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors of the kingdom, as people who are seeking first God and his kingdom, these, these same things are happening in us. That daily we should be doing some prep in our life, some preparation for the holiness and righteousness and authority and kingship of Christ in our life and in our hearts. And anything that's in the way of that we should remove. It goes on to say in verse 7, it says this, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath? So he said to them therefore, because God spoke to him, because he heard these words and he's trusting and he's putting faith in God's words, he said, I'm going to put something into action and I'm going to share with other people uh, what God's word says about sin, about, uh, about, um, about idols, about their life, about what's needed, about the Christ, the Messiah. So he says, he said, therefore, to the crowd that came out, of the, uh, out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He, he told them about the wrath that is coming. The wages of sin is death. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What does fruit bearing look like? John preaches that fruit bearing looks like repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. And this is an interesting uh, little saying that he says. We don't, we don't have anything to rely on. 
We have nothing of our own that we can rely on. But these people, as they're coming out to be baptized, he's saying, hey, repent. And don't begin to say in your heart or begin to say to yourself that we have Abraham as our father, that we have some excuse or we're able to justify our actions by some way. You may feel the same way sometimes. Oh, there's nothing I can do or, or I don't have Abraham or I do have this righteousness or, and we're depending on our own righteousness or depending on the things that we, we've done or we're going to do instead of trusting in the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, goes on to say in verse 8, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. It's interesting. I mean, think about the rock on the ground, the stone that he's pointing at as he's saying this, the stone of the rock that has no uh, genealogy, that has no lineage, you know, that, that can't prove anything. He has no papers proving, like, this is where I came from. I was in, uh, I was in this place and this place, and this is who my mom and daddy is, and, I, you know, he can prove his genealogy. These folks are relying on those things, relying on their records, relying on their check marks, relying on those things, saying, look at my righteousness, look who I am. I'm a, a descendant of Abraham, and I have this. And John is saying, no, no longer depend on these things. Instead, we have to depend, depend completely upon the Christ and his completed work. Verse 9 says this, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What a, just a, you know, a, a harsh statement that John would make. Like, be ready. Be ready for a pruning. Be ready for the axe to chop. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And just a little side note here. As you're thinking about prep work, as you're thinking about preparing for the second coming of Jesus, as you're you're preparing even for uh, the celebration of the first coming of Jesus daily, what is it you're doing daily that you're preparing to bear fruit from the Lord? We think about the fruits of the Spirit for a moment. Can you really produce those on your own? Can you produce self-control, actual self-control, godly self-control on your own? Can you produce joy on your own? I mean, these are the things that God is wanting us to produce in our lives. He's wanting us to bear these fruit, these simple fruit that in Galatians chapter 5 are mentioned. How are you going to bear those if you're not preparing daily to be used by the Lord? Lord, use me today. Let me bear fruit for you and for your kingdom, for your glory, for your honor. Let me not be these people who are, who are chopped down at the root because I'm not bearing any good fruit. But instead, let me be a person who's being used by you for your glory, uh, to your honor, so that the world may know more about your goodness and how worthy you are. And then we get to this moment in John, uh, our Luke in John's sermon in Luke 10, or 3, uh, these verses 10 through 14, he says this. And the crowds began to question him or ask him. They had some questions now. He preached these things. He preached, preparing the way for Christ to come. He preached these things, and so now they have questions. And the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? Right? I mean, think about if you have a conversation about the, about the Messiah this week, about the Christ, about Jesus. Talk about his goodness, his holiness, about him being a worthy king to live for about giving your life over to Him, about Him removing your sins. And somebody might say, all that stuff that you just said to me is good. You're telling me to live a different life, to be conformed into the image of Jesus, so what should I What should I do? And John gives some very practical advice here. He says, verse 11, And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share. Share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Just an interesting little statement there. Pretty practical. Something that we can use today. I mean, literally, we're talking about, and I know it may be embarrassing, you may turn red, but whoever has two pairs of underwear, two tunics, is to share with him who has none. 
I mean, it's a simple little statement. This isn't an expensive thing. This isn't like go out and buy a new car and share it with somebody else. Or if you have six cars, go sell five of them and just keep one and give those. No, this is a simple thing. A simple little, hey, if you have two tunics, you can't wear them both at the same time unless it's just a blizzard. So why not share what you have with others? If you have excess food, share it with others. And then the tax collectors, you know, who are heathens, who would never come to a Baptist church. They say this, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he answered them and he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Don't be stingy. Don't be greedy. And the soldiers also asked him, verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort Extort money from anyone who, th- who uh, anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with what, with with your wages, the wages that you have. Eugene Peterson interprets it this way. He says the crowd asked them, "Then what are we supposed to do? And if you have two coats, give one away." He said, "Do the same with your food." Verse twelve says, uh, "Tax men also came to be baptized, and he said, said to them, Teacher, what should we do?' And he told them, "No more extortion. Collect only what is required by the law." And soldiers asked him, "What shall we do?" And he told them, "No shakedowns, no blackmail. Be content with your rations." I think it's interesting here what John says in this little uh, sermon in itself, kind of as he's teaching, as he's preparing the way of the Messiah. I think it's something that we can apply even to our life today, as people want to know what would he do to follow Jesus. We can point them to characteristics that John talks about here of someone who's following the Lord, someone who's, uh, who's wanting Christ to be ruler of their life, someone who's wanting to be God to be supreme in their life. I mean, think about it, even, even within this little uh, context or this little teaching here, think about the characteristics of God that shows up. I mean, Jesus closes us with his righteousness. He has extra, so he closes with his, in a sense. He comes down and he closes with his righteousness, his holiness. And he promises to provide for every need, not being stingy with his righteousness or with his food, but instead clothes us with his righteousness and clothes us and feeds us with his holy food. And then think about it in the sense of the characteristic of the tax collectors, the teaching there. God only collects on the debts according to the law. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not, it's, it's not Jesus' sacrifice and something else, but instead he collected on the debt of sin and found satisfaction in Jesus alone. He's not saying Jesus has Jesus sacrifice and your good works. He's saying, he's saying Jesus' sacrifice is enough. The law is set, and so sacrifice for sin must happen, and Christ fulfilled that. He's not looking for extra, and so you preach the same thing. You prepare your heart daily saying, nothing I do today or yesterday or tomorrow will ever amount to what Christ has done. Praise be to God for that. Let me celebrate that. Let me prepare my heart for Christ to rule in my life today. And then he ends with, he loves us and leads us not through force or false accusations, but with grace and truth. He has an understanding of what wages should be. He has an understanding of the wages of sin is death. And so he leads us with grace and truth, not by force or blackmail or shakedowns, but instead he leads us with grace and truth. And how awesome would it be to be to be known as a group of people who are leading as Christ led with grace and truth, not false accusations, not through force, not trying to punish people for their sins because we think we're the judge, but instead knowing who the judge is, knowing what the wages of sin is, and with that pointing them to grace, to truth, leading them in the way everlasting. And this is what will happen to you because it happened to John. When you start preaching those things, when you start preparing daily, Preparing your heart daily for God to work in your life. And then you begin preaching those things or putting those practical applications in your own life. 
And you begin modeling that for the world. It's so different from the world. People are attracted to it. And it's so different from the world. This is what happens. Verse 15. And as the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. This is what happens. People are longing. Ecclesiastes tells us that, that God has placed eternity in their hearts, so they're longing for something to find satisfaction in, to find pleasure in. And when you start showing them the obstacles of idols, and when you start showing them what enchantment looks like and entrapment looks like, and you start telling them about the one true God, about His love, His grace, His compassion, about His wrath even, they start turning to you for help because they, they see your genuineness, how authentic you are in your life, that you're willing to share. You're not greedy, but instead you're giving. You're not stingy, but instead you're willing to share with others. That you are full of grace and truth, not of force and false accusations. When they start seeing these things, they begin to say, are you the Christ? And what do you do? You follow John's example. Is John the Christ? Is John the baptizer? Is he the one that's the Christ? Is he the one that's prophesied about? And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to go to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn away with unquenchable fire. What does John do? He points people to the king, to the worthy king. He says, I am unworthy. I'm unworthy, and I'll point you to the one who is mightier than I am. And we do the same thing today. How do we prepare for the second coming of Christ? We tell people about his kingship, about his worthiness, about how incredible he is. We point people to him and to him alone. To end with, it says this. So, many, so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and that he locked him up in John in prison. And now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I mean, this, this is who we're talking about. Preparing daily for Christ to rule in your heart. For Christ to rule over your life. The one who God audibly spoke from heaven saying, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. This Jesus should rule and reign over your life every day. The work has been completed. If you don't go and share your tunic this week and you feel guilty about that because you have an extra pair and you have extra food and you didn't share that with somebody else and you come back next week and you feel guilty over that, know that the work of your guilt and your sin being removed has been completed. That's the good news of the gospel. That Christ wants to wipe your sins as far as the east is from the west. The work has been completed. So what is your role? What should you be doing? Daily preparing. Each day preparing to be used by Jesus. Preparing to be used by Him. To bear fruit for His kingdom. And so you have to prepare your hearts for holiness every day. And so how do you do that? I mean, how do you prepare your life to be ruled by someone other than yourself? What are the things that are in the way? I mean, as you think through it now, what are the things that are getting in the way, the obstacles, the idols that are in your way for, for Christ to completely rule over you? Uh, Paul Tripp says that the coming of Christ uh, marks the end of self-rule, that no longer do we have to rule over ourselves, but now we can trust in Jesus. He came to rule over us, and He is the greatest, and if He is the greatest, greatest and He's the mightiest, if He's the most awesome, then let Him rule over you and let everything get out of the way from your heart 
of being prepared for holiness. So, daily you have to ask yourself two questions. Who is the king? Who is the king? Who is the king? Jesus is the king. And what preparations are you going to make today so that, so that Christ rules over you? What is it that you're going to do? What, what is it you're going to get out of the way? Lord, let Christ rule over me. Worship, pray, read scripture daily. Have, have accountability. Have people come into your life and say, hey, you're not, uh, you're not representing someone who's, who's, um, who's following Christ or who's modeling Christ uh, being ruler of your life. I mean, think about it this way as we, as we kind of gear down towards the end here. Uh, you know folks who, have, um, who have, are about to get married, or maybe you were this way, and we throw these things called bachelorette and bachelor parties. You know, it's like their last night of singleness, and so they're going to go party as much as they can. I mean, in a sense, in a worldly sense, not with Christians necessarily, but in a worldly sense, you've seen movies or you've heard friends are this way. Uh, and their bachelor party, they do like, uh, you know, almost unforgivable sins. Like they commit all these things. This is my last night of singleness, and so I'm a bachelor for the last time, so I'm going to commit and do all these things in preparation for being married tomorrow. You know, or maybe the bachelorettes are the same way. Let's go out and party. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and, it, and as long as it stays in Vegas, then I won't have to deal with it in my marriage later on. You know, and so they party, and, they, and in preparation for their marriage, they're doing all these things, thinking, uh, once, once I'm married... I won't be able to participate in these things anymore. And so, and so in preparation for that, I'm going to try and get it all done now. I mean, do you know Christians here this way? I mean, we're the bride of Christ. We're waiting, anxiously waiting for his return. And we think about it as almost like, man, this is my bachelor party. Like, there's going to come a time when Christ is going to come back and he's going to be this great groom. And I'm going to just be nervous. I'm like, man, did I, like, I'm about to have this wedding and... Did I do enough stuff before that I wanted to do as the, as the Savior comes and saves me from all those things? Or should I have prepared in a different way? Not love stories, gospel-centered marriages of, of fiancés, you know, of future grooms and future brides who are saying things like, as I'm preparing for marriage, like I want our marriage to be at bed to be holy. I want our marriage to be centered around righteousness, about, around purity. And so I'm going to spend the last, I, I harassed my best friend about this so much. Man, this is your last night of singleness. You want to read scripture? You want to pray with her? Come on! That's what we do. As ambassadors of the gospel, as ministers of reconciliation, we're telling people about the way. The way has been made straight in Jesus. We're preparing for his return. And so daily we say, prepare my heart for holiness. Prepare my heart, my life for your return. Let me be a minister of reconciliation. So you ask the question daily, who is king? And then the follow-up question to that is, is whoever you said is king, are they worthy to be king? And if you said Jesus is king, is he worthy to be king? And if he is worthy to be king of your life, no longer let self rule over you. Uh, John Piper says this in, in one of the little Advent books that he, he wrote. Um, he talks about this enchantment stuff and how enchantment, how we, we, we quickly become enchanted with things of this world. And he says that we must become disenchanted with the praise of men. We must become disenchanted with the sufficiency, sufficiency of things of this world to satisfy our soul. And we must have a longing for a redemption beyond what the world can give. We no longer can be enchanted with the things of this world. And so daily we prepare our hearts to be enchanted by Christ and Christ alone. No longer being trapped in sin, but being seen that we've been forgiven and freed from that, and we let Christ rule over us.